There you go. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're glad that you're here, man. We're, we, we like to have a good time. And, and, and today we're, we're talking about this idea. We're, we're in week two of Family Matters. And we kind of built on a foundation last week uh, that we're going to get to in just a second. But today we get to the, really the first step of practical advice. And we're going to talk about dating. And I know for some of you, you're sitting here saying, wait a minute. I'm long past the stage of dating. I've, I'm married now. Dating isn't a rear mirror. First of all, it should not be. Uh, if, if you're married, you should still be dating your spouse. Guys, do something in the next two weeks to surprise your wife. Take her out on a regular basis. Do something in the next two weeks. It doesn't have to be loud and extravagant. It can be something quiet, but something that's, that's really meaningful. Continue to do that. And the second thing, maybe it's not for you. Maybe this, I think there's something in the message for you today. Maybe the dating topic isn't for you because you're already married and, and you're content with that. But there's so many you're going to come in contact with this week, this month, or this year that you're going to be able to give advice. We're going to talk about advice in a second. You're going to be able to give advice to. And so I think for everyone, whether or not you're in a dating situation right now or not, whether that's in the future or whether it's in the past, there's something for each one of us today. There was a time in each of our life, uh, yeah, as we get older, relationships get a, more, get a little bit more complicated. But there was a time in our life where, where things were a lot more simple. How many remember your first crush? Yeah, like things were a lot simpler than Some people were like, no, that was a long time ago. But, but for, for some, some of us, remember that first crush. And actually, I asked my wife about sharing this story. She said it's fine. Because for me, it was in third grade. And the only reason it wasn't my wife is because I didn't know her at that point. I promise. But yeah, I'm getting myself in trouble already. But, but here's, I remember the girl. She was in third grade. Her name was Kim Holloway. And, and here's the deal. Uh, up until third grade, it was kind of like girls were icky. They had cooties. I wanted nothing to do with them. And in third grade, things started to change a little bit. I remember I started noticing Kim, and, and we played sports, and she'd play sports sometimes with us, and she was different. And I didn't tell anybody at first because I didn't want it to get around, but I said, you know, I kind of feel differently about Kim now. This is kind of changing the game for me. And then I had that one friend who I thought I could confide in, and his name was Tony. I said, Tony, come here, man. I got to tell you something. You know, Kim, I really I, I think she's cute. I like her. And, and, and so I thought I could confide in Tony. He's not going to tell anybody. Well, Tony decides he's going to tell one person because he has to tell one person. And, and he tells one person and eventually gets around the class. And I'm sitting at my desk one day. And, and I remember clearly I was sitting at my desk and, and Kim comes walking up behind me. And I kind of see her and I'm like, oh, hey, Kim. And, and she said, JJ, like just no, no, like no leading into the conversation. She says, JJ, do you like me? That's intimidating. Like, how do you respond to that? So I responded like any red-blooded third-grade male would respond. I said, No. Like, who told you that? <laughs> like, you had no idea how to respond. And, and you know, when we think about those type situations, it's cute, it's, it's harmless. And we think about that because there's something about, like, when we're younger and, and when there's just those crushes, that it's, it's really just, it's cute. But as we get older, relationships tend to get more complicated. Uh, especially as we start dating maybe in high school or maybe past high school. And, and the further steps that we take in those relationships the more the cuteness can easily wear off and when we realize there are now real-life complications that we have to deal with. Sometimes it's because of past relationships. Sometimes it's because of mistakes made in our current relationship that the, that the dating game gets much, much tougher. And so we want to, at the very outset today, talk about the outside of the series. We want to talk about why dating itself is paving the way for our future relationships because I believe fully that how we date has a reflection upon how we marry. And how we marry has a reflection on and affects the way we raise our family and, and, and has an effect on future generations. 
I think for a lot of people, they come into dating relationship and they say, well, it's not that big a deal. Like, like we're just dating. It's not that big a deal yet. Uh, we're just kind of getting to know each other. And I know that that person might not be the best person for me, but, but I'm going to try to figure this thing out and, and it's not going to affect me later on anyway. And it does. It affects this relationship. It affects future relationships. And eventually it affects our marriage and the way we raise our kids. All that stuff has an impact. So as we really get into the practical advice of this series, the practical counsel of this series, we want to begin by talking about the idea of, of dating. Before we get there, though, I want to build on the foundation we started last week. So we kicked off this series last week, and this is really, really key for this series. We kicked off this series by introducing the idea of family matters, and we made this statement. We're going to talk about family matters because we believe right now that your family matters. We heard a lot of statistics, some that were not really they're kind of a little bit disheartening, some that were a little bit encouraging. We heard a lot of statistics about the family. We realized that the family has some challenges, especially in the modern-day United States. It has some challenges. And so he said for us and our family, if right now, if, if, if you're journeying on this journey with us, and I know it might not be every one of us, but if we're having this journey together of saying, I want to follow God, I want to follow Jesus with everything that, it ha- that I have, that ultimately that impacts our relationships and that our ra- relationships should sometimes be based upon that mindset that we have to say, I want to pursue Christ with everything that I have. And there's a very big difference. And the first thing we talked about last week, kind of the big idea, was there's a big difference between what's real in our relationship right now and what we're striving for as being ideal. All the statistics we cited, especially early on in the message, this is what's real. This is what's happening in the United States. This is what's happening in a lot of our families. And I don't want us to fake what's real. I want us to be real. And and so when we have those faults, it it isn't because your kids are going to see right through that. You come to church, and the whole way to church, you're fighting and you're squabbling, and and the the boys are in the back, they're hitting each other in the back of the car, and the girls are pulling each other's hair. And then you pull up, and you straighten their hair, put on their tie, and say, okay, let's go to church, and everyone be happy. That's not real. We want to be real, but in the midst of being real, we want to start to aspire towards that which is ideal. See, life is real. We make some mistakes, each one of us in our, in our relationships, we've made some mistakes. And so we said, here's what's real. Here's some statistics that are real. Here's some stories from Scripture that are real stories. And there aren't a lot of good examples of, of fully functional families in Scripture. We said, that's real, but there's teaching about what's ideal. And we don't want to settle for what's real. I don't want to settle for what's real in my family. But I want to aspire towards that which is ideal. And so the first part is don't settle for what's real, strive for what's ideal. But the second part of that is that each one of us has made some mistakes in the past. And when we have those mistakes in the past, there's grace and there's mercy in the midst of those situations. The last two Saturdays, I've had the absolute privilege to officiate two different weddings each of the past two Saturdays. And one of the things I love most about the weddings themselves is meeting couples beforehand, going through counseling, and getting to know them. And I know for each of those couples and the couples I've counseled in the past, their desire is to say, I want to honor God in this relationship, and I want this relationship to last. Like, that's ultimately, that's their longing, is to see success in that relationship. No one goes into into the wedding day wondering when is their divorce going to be. Because they would say from the very outset, if, if that were our case, then there's not success in that relationship. However, for a lot of us, we've experienced divorce in the past. And if that's true, then there's grace and there's mercy in that situation. But... It's not to settle for that in the future. There's grace and there's mercy in the, in the areas that we've messed up or the areas where we've been hurt. But now as we look forward and as we move forward, it's saying how can I take the grace and mercy that God showed me in the past 
and not continue to have to live in that grace and mercy, but allow that grace and mercy to free me up and to aspire towards real greatness in our relationships. And it has to do with our dating relationships, it has to do with our marriage relationships, it has to do with our relationship with our kids, our grandkids, and, and other people we come in contact with. How can I, in the context of my life, say, I want to honor God in my relationships? Because we believe that families and so today we turn our, our sights to this idea of dating. And even if this isn't you, I, I pray you are able to take something away from this. And as we begin this conversation about dating, it, it would be great if we could look in Scripture and say, the Bible says here's how you date and, and here's how you do this. And, and the Bible even clearly dictates, if you're single today, the Bible says here's who you should be dating. And, and you come for advice and I say, oh yeah, I can look it up right here in the book of, uh, of Nehemiah. And it's, it actually lists your name and says here's the person you're supposed to date. It doesn't get that specific. It would be great that would solve a lot of our problems. It also doesn't give a whole lot of information about dating because dating back then looked very different than it does today. But it does give us practical advice. It gives us practical advice about relationships. And then what we're going to do is take that practical advice and apply that into our dating relationships. And we're going to answer two key questions this morning. If we get the first question right, I'm convinced the second question, it won't entirely take care of itself but it'll be a lot easier if we get the first question right. The first question is, who should I date? If we get that answer right, if we figure out who it is that I'm supposed to date, if we're single right now, if you answer the question, who am I supposed to date, that's 90% of the problem. Now, I will say this. When we ask the second question, which is, how should I date? I could date the right person, and if I do it wrong, it's still going to mess up. But if I'm dating the right person, if I'm saying in my life, I want to honor God, and I want to find someone who in their life, they're honoring God, and if both of our desires is to do that, then God says he's going to give us the desire of our heart, and there's going to be some level of success. We can still fall away and make mistakes, but if I date the right person, it makes it easier to make the right choices in that relationship. So real quick, two questions. Number one, who should I date? And the second one being, how should I date? We're going to spend most of our time dealing with the first one. The second one could take weeks if we had time allotted for that. So the first question becomes, who should I date? And for most of us, if we ask the question, who are you looking for in a potential date or even a potential mate? And this is a big deal. My wife and I grew up, and I was was a youth pastor for a long time, and my wife used to always talk to the girls in our youth group about this idea that every date is a potential mate. That's a big deal because sometimes we kind of say, well, this isn't a big deal because I'm just dating this person for right now, but long term I don't see myself with them. Every date is a potential mate, and if they're not worth marrying then really they're not worth dating. Like, why give them that much of your time if there aren't, aren't marriable material? But most people are driven not necessarily by logic or, or, or by having some sort of spiritual background, but most people are driven by emotion. We look across the room. Guys, we look across the room and we see the girl that catches our eye. For me, in third grade, is Kim Holloway. Now it's my wife. But in third grade, is Kim Holloway. And I look and, and <laughs> I'm making sure to point to that each time. But, but it makes your heart go pitter-patter and all that stuff. And, and there's emotion, and emotion fuels it. And there's nothing wrong with emotion. I believe God uses emotion. God uses attraction. I don't think those things are bad, but I think those things are, are surface level at best. Because emotion comes and it goes. Today we feel really good about something, so we're going to pursue it. But what happens when that emotion is no longer there? What happens when all we've had to build upon is emotion 
And all of a sudden, that feeling isn't there any longer. And, and I, I feel like all, my whole relationship was based upon emotion. See, God knew that we we're going to be inconsistent. God knew our emotions could come and they could go. And that we could feel really good about a relationship today and really bad about a relationship tomorrow. And this isn't just dating. It's marriage relationships as well. Emotions come and they go. How many have ever received really bad dating advice? Nobody? Okay, there's a few. Thank you. <laughs> I figured there had to be a few. How many, how many have given really bad dating advice? Maybe, maybe that's a better question to ask. Yeah, here's the deal, because I, I think most of us, we want to give good advice. I had a pastor friend of mine uh, early on, as, as a really young guy in ministry, and, and he said, JJ, opinions are like noses. Everyone has one, and they each have at least two holes in them. And, and yet we all want to give our opinions, we want to give our advice, we want to give, here's some good dating advice I have. And so someone comes up to us and says, uh, here's all my problems, let me kind of spew it all out. And, and they share their story, and they get done, you're supposed to give them good advice, and you don't even know where to begin. And so your response is to say something along the lines of this. Well, get all that stuff cleaned up, and then a lot of people say this, they say, follow your heart. That's really bad advice. Imagine me for a second. I was growing up, and I was kind of a bigger kid growing up. And imagine me, I, I walk up, and I'm with my mom, and, and, and Krispy Kreme Donuts is open, and the hot and ready sign is up, and, and I walk in, and they got the glass case of all the donuts. And my mom walks up and says, JJ, follow your heart, son. How's that going to go? Like, that's terrible advice in that setting. And it's also really kind of weak advice when it comes to our relationships. Because for some people today, even married people, today my heart tells me I'm in love, I feel good about this relationship, but maybe tomorrow there's a fight. And my heart, no, my heart, no, my heart is no longer in it. Well, if I follow my heart, what does that mean? If we're strictly fueled by emotion, I believe God uses emotion, but if we're strictly fueled by emotion, our emotions come and they go. God knew this. So over in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, says this, the heart, our emotions, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He says our heart, it comes and it goes. And so if we're not careful, if we're only fueled by emotion, our heart is deceitful above all things. Today it makes us feel really, really good. And then tomorrow I don't feel so good. And so because of that, if I apply that same logic into our married relationships, and I talked to a bunch of husbands in the midst of their biggest fight, I said, follow your heart. Their heart at that moment might tell them to do the wrong thing. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? A heart can be deceitful. And so when it comes to our relationships, I believe emotion and, and attraction, it's powerful. But at surface level, at best, there has to be something deeper than just being driven by emotion. So what's the, what's the next step? What's going a little bit deeper in this thing? Well, our second box says it's not just enough to be driven by emotion. So we have to put some intellect into this thing. We have to think this thing through. We're building a little bit stronger foundation now. One of the things I love is, is as I go through the, the marriage, especially the marriage counseling, I love this portion of it. We start to talk through, okay, what is it? Especially as you're starting to look at future things. The final counseling session, we say, what are some future things? What are some things you want to look forward to? And I challenge the couples, sometimes individually, sometimes collectively, to do this. I say, come up with a purpose statement or a mission statement as a family that this is what you want to strive for. 
this is what your ideal goal is in your relationship, in your marriage relationship, so that whenever the seas get rocky, whenever things get rough, you can go back to that initial statement and say, wait a minute, what is that I'm supposed to be pointing to? What is it that way before emotions started to get involved, what is it that I said should be my goal? That's my intellect. That's me thinking these things through. And have that purpose statement for you guys as a couple. Imagine if we could rewind a couple of years before that. Maybe even before people started dating. And saying, listen, in a couple of years, you're going to get in high school, or you're going to get beyond high school, and your emotions are going to drive a lot of what you do. And so way before the emotions are getting involved, let's think through what it is you're looking for in a future date. Because if right now I sit there and say, here's what I would like to see out of that person. Here's what I, girls, if, if, ladies, if you're sitting here saying, if you're single right now and you're saying, well, before I even think about dating someone, here's some characteristics that I want to have. Here's some attributes I want to be part of their life. I'm thinking it through. I'm coming up with a mission statement for my life that has a lot more logic than it does emotion. God can use emotion, but even more so, I believe that God, before we get emotion kind of messing things up, our intellect, our thoughts are going to be a whole lot more consistent. So we think those things through. If we were to sit there right now and, and, and maybe say we took a, a lady, she's 24 years old and she's dating and, and she found a guy and he's 24 years old and, and, and right away she met him and there's attraction and, and he makes her heart do that whole pitter-patter thing. And then she finds out he's 24 years old, he still lives at home, he's never had a job, doesn't have his driver's license, doesn't have a car, doesn't have any of that stuff, but he can watch Cartoon Network all day long. It doesn't matter how he makes you feel. It doesn't matter what the emotions dictate. At some point, your mind has to say, this is probably not the right relationship for me right now. There has to be something deeper than that. But here's what I'm saying. These are both good. But there's something deeper than this. See, there's, there's emotion, and God can use emotion. There's intellect, and God can use our thoughts. But way bigger than that is God's spirit communicating with our spirit about things that are spiritual. I want to look for, if you're in a dating relationship right now, you want to look for the person who is the right person in your life. And it's not just about saying, who makes me feel good? It's not even about me coming up with a list of, of things that I think would be good attributes. It's about me saying, God, I'm pursuing you with everything that I have. And I believe that from your word, and I believe that through you communicating with you in prayer, that you're going to begin to reveal to me the type of person I should be looking for, and eventually reveal to me who the person is when I meet them that I know for sure, because they have the attributes that, are, that, I, that I kind of had realized in my intellect, but also now there's something in my spirit that you're communicating with me that this right here is the right person. And for a lot of us, had we gone through this exercise a long time ago, we would have been able to eliminate a lot of the pain we've experienced up to this point. Because for so many of us, our emotion-fueled decisions we made when it came to relationships, and we wonder why they went south so quickly. So we go through emotion, we go through intellect, and we go through spirit. And I want to real quick, Jeremiah 17, 9, we left that up there. And I want to look at that and compare it to one more verse. Because in Jeremiah 17, 9, it talks about our heart. And it says that our heart is deceitful, it's, it's wicked, and it can't be understood. But over in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm comparing Scripture with Scripture for a second. And in Jeremiah, it said that our heart is deceitful, it's, it's wicked, it's misleading us. But here it says God wants to give me the desire of my heart. How does that work? Because my, my heart is inconsistent, but we have to realize the qualifier towards the, for this is the beginning of Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. If we're thinking things through spiritually, if we're saying, I want to make sure that in my spirit I'm looking for the right person, that I'm looking for qualities, the right attributes, I'm looking for all those things, and that I'm praying, God, reveal that right person to me. That I'm saying, in my life, I want to honor God. I want to put God first. And if I do that, if I put my delight in God, then eventually in his timing, he's going to give me the desire of my heart, which is to have a healthy relationship. So how do I do that in practical setting of a relationship? How do I do that? Three things real quick. How do I make that practical? Number one, be patient. Be patient when it comes to relationships. Young people want to rush so quickly in a relationship. They want a relationship, and if they break up, they want another relationship. But then we get a little bit older, and we start to wonder, you know, is my clock ticking? Do I got to make something happen quicker, and I try to force a relationship to work when it's not supposed to? Be patient. Wait on God's timing. 1 Corinthians 7 is all about being patient. Waiting on God's timing when it comes to relationships. It's about dating. It's about marriage. It's about uh, children. All the stuff that comes with it. Be patient. Don't force the situation. Let God's timing allow it to happen. The second thing is be pure. It's more of the practical advice we'll get to in a second about how to date. But be pure even when you're selecting that person. Be consistent about that. But the third one, and this is really, really important. Be purposeful about the relationship. Be intentional. Very few people stumble into greatness. When it comes to our relationships, they take work. I think for a lot of us, we think we're just going to sit back and and we're going to watch. And eventually we're going to wake up one day and we're going to have a great family. And we're going to have great relationships. and, And I can just sit back and I can enjoy watching all this stuff happen in front of me. And then one day we look back and we say, what happened in the last five years? And what happened to my family? We weren't purposeful when it came to that relationship. We weren't purposeful when it came to that dating relationship. We, we settled for less than God's best. And we wonder why now on the backside I'm having all this problem and all this hostility. Because we weren't purposeful, weren't intentional. And so God says, wait on me. Find your delight in me and I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. And so as I'm purposeful, I start to ask a question. If right now, if you're sitting there and you're saying, in my life, I want to honor God. In my life, I want to make sure he's first. Now, how does that reflect into my dating life? If that's where you're at right now, I, I want to do this real quick. And I think I've shared this in the past, but I want to do this. And this isn't just practical advice when it comes to dating relationships. This is practical adv- advice when it comes to any meaningful relationship that we have. Because in, in any relationship, since we're talking about dating today... I'm going to share it from the perspective of a boyfriend or girlfriend. But it could be right now. It could be, guys, it could be your best buds. Who are the people that you're hanging out with the most? Who are the people you're going hunting with or you're going fishing with or you're watching the game with? It could be your business partners. Whoever those most meaningful relationships are, we have to realize the people we're hanging out with the most, the people we're doing life with the most, are the people that are going to affect us. In every relationship, I'm going to use a boyfriend or girlfriend, but it could be any relationship. So over here you have the boyfriend. Over here you have the girlfriend. And their desire as they get to know each other is to be drawn closer to each other. 
And they look at their life and they think, we have it pretty good. Like, I like her and she likes me. And a lot of that's based upon emotion, but we feel really good about it. And I want to get to know her more. Now, whether they are aware of it or not, there's a third party in this relationship. And it could be that they're trying to follow God and, and he's up there and they're aware of him. It could be that they're not. It could be right now they say, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Jesus or any of that stuff. Whether they realize him or not, he's there. And so here we go. We have this kind of this three parties in the relationship, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, and God kind of overseeing that. Or you could put your buddy and, and your other buddy and your friends that you're kind of being friends with or business partners, whatever it is. But we have God overseeing that relationship. Now, they want to become closer to each other, but the thing that we see in this chart is that if we say as individuals, I want to follow God with everything that I have, and I want to get to know Him more. If I'm over here, and I'm doing that, and my wife and I, when we were dating, she says, I want to do the same thing, and so she's coming here, and and she wants to do that. Well, the the closer we grow in our relationship with God, of necessity, the closer we become to each other. And I see that. I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of guys. And, and, and sometimes, man, they're way down here. Their wives are growing, and, and they're not. And, and they're kind of way down. And, and, and they say, JJ, my, my relationship is fractured. I'm not being the man I'm supposed to be. And, and they say, I want to start to do the right things. And they're not even aware of it at first, but they're starting to kind of climb this chart a little bit. Maybe not up to the standard their wife is or their girlfriend is. But they're starting to climb the chart, and it doesn't happen overnight. But over time, they, they, time and time again, it might take months or years, but they're saying, JJ, all of a sudden that relationship is starting to feel a little bit better. Why? Because I'm honoring God in my life. And every guy that I knew that honored God in his life eventually honored his wife or his girlfriend. And so we say, I want to desperately be in love with God. I want to pursue him. And as I pursue him, and as my wife, or if it's you, if it's your girlfriend, as she pursues him, it draws us closer together. If the opposite is true, and here's where the challenge is, and here's where this really starts to get practical. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's speaking specifically about relationships, not dating relationships. It's speaking about relationships. But those close relationships of people that we're really doing life with. Being really practical, it says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship is light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial or, or the devil? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with the idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He says, when it comes to our most meaningful relationships, we have to realize that we're working together in those relationships. In fact, at the moment in the wedding, when they, when they say their vows, they say their I do's, they repeat after me. At that point, outside of their relationship with God, the most meaningful relationship that couple's ever going to have is the relationship they have with each other. And so they're being yoked together. And the teaching here is, it's not really going to be really, really compatible. Sometimes it works out to some extent, but it's not really, really compatible. If you're saying in my life, I want to honor God with everything I have, I want to pursue him, and the person that you're yoked up with the most in your life, the person that you're bonded with, that you're supposed to be working together with, is saying, I want to pull in a completely different direction. 
And yet like two oxen or two bulls, you're, you're pulling together, you yoke together, and yet you're pulling each other apart, and you're not getting anywhere. And yet we see this over and over where someone who's deeply committed to God says, well, I really want to pursue God in every facet of my life. But in this one area, he's not working on my time schedule. And so I'm going to take this over myself, and I'm not going to be patient, and I want to do this thing myself. And they wonder why it doesn't work. And so we say, right now, in every relationship that I have, I want to make sure I do this right. Because I believe, and I believe this for each one of us today, I believe that every one of us, that God's desire is he wants to give us a fulfilled life. He wants us even to be, and, and I, don't, I don't like using this word in this context, but he likes us to be happy. But much more important than our happiness is our holiness. Much more important than us getting what we want is us following what he has for us because he always has our best in mind. And so it's not just, it's mostly about who we date, but then it's also about how we date. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to finish off here. We spent a long time talking through <clears throat> the first question. But I want to talk just real quick about the second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your being set apart. You want to know in the midst of your relationship, in the midst of that dating relationship, I believe I've found the right person. I've waited upon God. I've been purposeful. I've been trying my best in this relationship. Now, how do I do this? We could spend weeks talking about this. But how do I do this? He says, this is the will of God. You're being set apart for him. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in a passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says, this is the will of God. Do you want to know what it's supposed to be? This is the will of God. You being set apart for him. That you abstain before marriage from sexual immorality. That you learn how to control your body with holiness. And, and that seems to go so much, so foreign to where our culture is going. Because our culture is dictated upon this. And our culture is dictated upon the idea that, well, if it feels good, just go ahead and do that. And we wonder why when all we have is emotion. And that emotion is no longer there that everything falls apart because we've not built upon a more solid foundation. We kind of do whatever feels good, and our emotion says, okay, go do this. And we're dictated by this idea that if it feels good, go ahead and do it. God says, wait on me. Wait on me. Wait on me for the right person. Wait on me for the right time. And if you delight yourself in me, I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. And that seems so crazy, and yet we see it over and over. People could testify and say, here was my past, and here's the heartache and pain I dealt with, that if I had waited on the right person, if I had waited on the right time, I wouldn't have to deal with all of this stuff. Don't just be driven by emotion. But instead I say, God, I want to be driven. You put a spirit inside of me, and you're speaking to me. I want to think through spiritual things first. I want to have, have a thought process, but, but, but emotion can be part of it. I'm glad emotion is. See, everyone thinks when it comes to marriage, and a lot of times when I finish up the charge to the couple at the wedding day, a lot of times I finish up with 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about that love is patient and love is kind, and it finishes with love never fails. Everyone says, well, that's great. Love makes us feel good and loves us emotion. Love isn't an emotion. The emotion that we feel is actually infatuation. 
And we like the infatuation. The infatuation is good. It makes us feel good. The first time you looked across the room and you saw her, or the first time you looked across the room and you saw him, that feeling you got, you want that feeling to stay and abide in the relationship. But if the relationship is built upon that feeling, it's going to die at some point. But if the relationship is built upon something deeper than that, if ultimately I realize that love isn't a feeling, it's an action. Love is a choice to purpose the other person's good above my own. To put their good, their wants above my wants, put their needs above my needs. Then the more that I do that, and there are a couple, there's a couple in here in the first service that said, we've been married this year for 40 years. That love that they had for each other continues to work itself out that 40 years, 40 years into this journey, they not only love each other, but they're in love with each other. They have that infatuation. If we do this right, if we say there's something deeper than emotion, we say there's a, a spiritual factor first, there's intellect involved, but there's also emotion. The great thing is if we do the relationship right, the, the emotion lasts so that 40 years from now, couples are getting married, 40 years from now, they can walk down the street holding each other's hands, saying we still feel just as in love as we did, even more so because we've been journeying up this path even more so than the day that we got married. If you're dating, ultimately... That's your goal is to have the right relationship and have a right relationship that lasts. Well, it begins with asking a question right now of God. God, who should I be dating? Before I ever get into it, let me think this through clearly. Who should I be dating? And then once I'm in that relationship, God, show me how I should date. We didn't have a lot of time to go over that. But God, right now, show me how I should date that I can get this right. Because eventually, how I date has an impact on how I marry. And how I marry has an impact upon my family and future generations. Let's pray.